Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Benevolent Banter. I know I say this every single episode, but I am so excited to have a real conversation with our guest today. And as always, guest, would you please introduce yourself? Good morning. I am Catherine Vandermeulen, a founder of Entrepreneurial Women with Purpose, which we launched last year. I am down in the freezing cold Marlborough today. I've got every item of clothing that I could possibly find to sit in my <laughs> sub-zero temperature office, the only room that doesn't have a heater. And um, yeah, excited to share my world and some of the work that we're doing and have this wonderful conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, Kath. Um, for everybody listening, the first time I remember seeing Kath and being a little bit in her orbit was, was it a year and a half ago that you came to Auckland and spoke um, with Brooke Howard Smith and We Are Tenzing? I base it based on how cold I was. It was last winter. Just a year. It was last winter. Yeah. Yeah. And I can remember um, Brooke invited me that morning to come see you speak. And I was like, okay, I'll do a little Googling. And then it was like, oh, okay, I will come and and listen to you speak, and you you knocked my socks off. Um, your story was really inspirational, and it has been fantastic to get to know you over the, the past two winters. I, too, am in my kitchen right now in every piece of clothing I own. Um, <laughs> we're obviously ladies from warmer climates. Um, <laughs> but the first question I wanted to ask you, Kath, was I, and I mean this wholeheartedly, how are you doing? 2020 has been um, a ride. Uh, how are you doing right now? Today, I am wonderful. If we had this conversation two weeks ago, I was in a deep, dark place. My children were giving me so much grief a couple of weeks ago. There were problems <laughs> left, right and center. I was tearing my hair out, literally not knowing how to cope, who had given me this responsibility to raise children who had given me the role <laughs> to try and manage these crazy humans' lives, and I was, I was lost. Uh, and I don't know what's happened, but we're in a much better place, and we haven't had the crazy. It was just, it was like a one week of crazy behaviour. Um, so today is Friday, and we're just about to finish school. And for the first time in a very long time, I'm taking two weeks off to spend with my children and go on adventures and explore New Zealand and go skiing and have some fun. And, you know, for the last year, I would normally take my children home to Australia as my ex-husband uh. is there. And so this will be the first time, aside from obviously during lockdown, that I've actually had a proper holiday with them in, in New Zealand where I don't actually have to work. I'm actually for the first time maybe ever going to put an out of office on from Monday. I saw a tweet just like an hour ago from somebody who is um, a female entrepreneur as well. And she was like, I'm going to take a week off. Should I put my OOO on? And I was like, yes, put that out of office on. Go and enjoy it. It's oh, I'm so happy for you. That sounds awesome. It's quite a significant thing to put an out of office on um, because it really tells the world. You're like, no, I'm not available. So and it's amazing when you start to create those, I, I call them boundaries, right? People really respect them. Mm -hmm. I find that if I put on an out of office that says I answer my emails three times a day, and if it's an emergency, give me a text, then people will text. Yeah. Um, if it's an emergency and otherwise, they, they just chill out, you know? And I think um, also now post-COVID, I think we all realize that we all need to chill that out. And yeah. Um, you know, and it really, like, 
things will just happen. It's okay. Like we don't need to have this kind of crazed rush about things. Things will just happen when they need to happen. So that's my kind of thinking around it all. Yeah. How nice is it to uh, be here in New Zealand and to be able to say words like post COVID? Yeah. Um, I look at, you know, I look at the rest of the world and back home in my country, holy bajubies, I think there were 52,000 um, cases identified in a single day yesterday. So it's like living in these alternate realities. We're in this beautiful little island nation that that feels very safe and comfortable, but then the rest of the world isn't quite no. quite there yet. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I would love to hear a little bit about your journey. So you're here in New Zealand now. Yeah. Um, how did you get here? What led you here? I actually got on an airplane, funnily enough. Uh, no, what <laughs> did lead me here? Um, we have had a home here for about 13 years and we bought a house here for two reasons. Mum loved the area. She had a friend up the valley and they were out here for a birthday party and drove past a house that she had visited a number of times before with the people that lived here uh, and saw that it was for sale um, and decided to make a purchase. It probably also made sense at that time because we had 25 stores, uh, super stores, our family business. Um, we had 25 stores across New Zealand, so it probably made sense that we could um, have a home in both countries. And, um, yeah, so we were always just travelling back here Christmas and or Easter, and um, probably two years ago, September, I was here with the kids, and in the lead-up to that, I'd been to a Women in Focus uh, event run by Combank, which is ASB here, and there was just so many wonderful conversations. And one of the ones at the end was with this woman called Kelly, and Kelly offered anyone who was looking for space and time the opportunity to have a session with her. And of course, as a single mother to two small humans, space and time are key aspects of my life and key needs of my life on any given day. Uh, so of course, jumped at the opportunity. We had a conversation. It was the day that I was leaving to come on a holiday just for a week to New Zealand for school holidays. And um, Kelly asked all sorts of questions that I'd probably already answered in my head, but hadn't really actioned or done anything about. I was like, what was, what's important to you? How do you want to wake up feeling every day? Um, if you could be doing what you love, what would you be doing every day? And I, it was really just kind of the questioning of who I was, what was important and how I wanted to be. Uh, and I didn't really think much more of the conversation, but then I woke up on the Sunday morning here in New Zealand. We went to the Sunday farmer's market. At some point tasting honey, I was like, we're going to move to New Zealand. And I don't know what <laughs> it was all about, but I was like, space and time. I love this place. And, you know, I checked in with the kids. Would they be open to it? Of course, my daughter, the adventurous spirit was up for it. My son, um, the uh, the Scorpio was like, oh no, I'm not leaving my beloved prince back in Australia, um, and he just you know <laughs> didn't want to go anyway. He just wanted to uh, do what he knew, um, and so we made a decision. And by January the following year, we were living here and enrolled in the little local local school. And uh, yeah, that's kind of part of the that's journey. But there were lots of other things going on in Sydney at that time that I just didn't feel myself. I didn't feel yeah. like I was living my true potential. I hadn't. I didn't feel self-actualized. I was working in a role that I loved and enjoyed, but 
it didn't give me a deep sense of purpose. And I remember saying one New Year's Eve before that, next year is my year that I'm going to be working, that I'm really going to be focused on my purpose. Um, and it was just a manifestation of that. And I knew that my biggest fear was living a mediocre life mm. mm-hmm. and not living true yeah. to my values and not living true to my needs and living that for other people and just being stuck. So it was about kind of taking bold, making bold decisions uh, and stepping and stepping forward. And truly I couldn't be happier where we are. Yeah. And I feel like I am my true self. I feel like I know exactly who I am and I represent my values and I feel like my most authentic self here. And I think it's taken me 40 years to get there. How magical is that to, to go on a journey like that as somebody who's um, also taken those bold steps of moving very far from home um, and doing a lot of things on my own. I, I, I completely uh, empathize with you on that journey and it's not, it's not a linear one, is it? It's, it's got its up and ups and downs and it's loop-de-loops. Um, yeah. I wanted to focus on something you said there about as you moved here and you made that bold decision to come to New Zealand and not just to a big city either, but you're, you're in a small town. What is that purpose that, that keeps you going and that gets you up in the morning? Um, is it evolving or is it something that you're, you're like, I know my purpose, this is what it is? Do you know I only really defined it and it was unintentionally. I wasn't sitting at my computer. I didn't have my journal going, I need to really get those words down and figure out what my purpose is. It just appeared to me <laughs> and I was like, it just it's everything that is important to me and it's really about supporting people to be the best versions of themselves and for also for businesses to be the best versions of themselves. And I truly believe that moving to New Zealand, I did a lot of work in the year leading up to moving to New Zealand. I worked with a kinesiologist uh, and we were really unpacking and repacking my values, what was important to me, what were my parents' values, what were my values, what values I was going to take on my next stage of my journey and really defining who I was and what was important to me for the future. Uh, and through that process and then moving to New Zealand and being a part of a wonderful small rural community uh, and being and feel, feeling like I am valued and that I can add a lot of value to everything that I do, which I never really felt in Australia. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it's really been about because I feel like my true authentic self, I can now support other people to get to that true authentic self themselves um, and to be that best version of themselves. And I think if we had the best versions of every single human being, imagine what our businesses would look like. Imagine what our organizations mm-hmm. would look like. Imagine what our governments would look like. So that's really that's right. become my driving mission behind everything. And it's, and I don't think you arrive at a place of purpose. You evolve and you tap other bits and pieces, but that really feels quite um, like it's got a lot of depth for me because it's got a lot of layers. Yeah, I agree with you. I was listening to um, Eckhart Tolle this morning and he said, you know, the people who, who show up in life and they go, I have arrived. <laughs> he said, nobody arrives. It's It's, you know, consistently your when you can park your egoic self and understand who you are fundamentally, um, 
you realize that, that it's all an arrival every moment. Um, it, it's, you're not there and then you stop. It's, it's an ongoing evolution of um, the way that you think and you feel and you move through the world. And I, I absolutely love that. I was looking at your um, website this morning and there was a quote on there that I think fits beautifully in with the, the ethos that you just explained. And it said, um, the quote, the part that stuck out for me was it said, business beyond profit. Mm. Now, when we talk about people bringing their whole selves or their authentic selves, or, you know, just being able to move through the world as who they are, I feel like there's a lot in society and specifically here in New Zealand and Australia where business specifically tells us we can't, you know, the words are there. It says, show up, be yourself. But the second you're sa- you're sat around a table or you are um, in front of decision makers or stakeholders, there's a definitely, there's a, a way we can be and a way we cannot be. Um, so how do we start to enact that change? How do we help people to have deeper conversations? Uh, well, I guess one of the things that we recently did with entrepreneurial women with purpose was really open those opportunities of having deep, meaningful, emotionally connected uh, conversations. And, you know, we got such incredible feedback from that session. And it was really about, you know, asking those hard questions of people or asking, you know, other people to be quite vulnerable, which is a challenging thing, I realise, in New Zealand. Um, you know, there's quite a lot and it's the opposite to how I am. I think I am overly vulnerable sometimes and overly share sometimes and overly open, as you know. Um, Same, yep. <laughs> and maybe that comes, you know, and I'm not, it's, it's just quite different here. Uh, I feel like people are a little bit more guarded here. So you've got to allow them the space and time to find that place within you, with you and kind of get to know you. Um, but I think it's really just about, Yes. Asking those deeper and more meaningful questions. Like I'm often asking our school principal uh, interesting questions, questions, and she's so wonderful. She's just, you know, she's really open to exploring it if she hasn't explored it before. And I think if we don't ask, then we can't make changes or we can't step forward and we can't, we can't get to that truth of who we are if we don't ask harder questions or things that are important to us why are why is that the way that it is could it be another way that's right that's right and that's what I loved about the business beyond profit you know there's there's got to be something beyond a bottom line otherwise what is the point of the business at all right I truly believe that what you put out into the world should make the world better and the business so beyond profit the profit only piece in that one vertical of profit is the 1980s, maybe the 1970s model of doing business. Yes. There's no option left in the world. We don't have the time to stuff around just to be making profit. It really needs to be a number of different pillars uh, that are focused on supporting people to be the best versions of themselves, that whole self-actualization piece, making sure that all of our stakeholders, we're not just the, CEOs and the shareholders that you know the workers out in the field are actually uh, gaining something from that organization and you know I think if we put a lot of love into our business that's where those dimensional components and start with a place of love not start with a place that's right because love is that connector on every level and I remember um, Oprah and John Mackenzie the founder of Whole Foods in the U.S. 
um, having a conversation under the oak tree. Uh, and she says, John, what's love got to do with business? And he said, absolutely everything. And, you know, that business was sold to Amazon for $40 billion. Wow. What's love got to do with Whole Foods? It's everything. Uh, and I think if we put more love and less focus into profit, I think we actually set ourselves up to have businesses for the future that there are happy humans in those businesses. Imagine if you walked into a business and every single person felt loved and felt valued and felt supported and felt and felt needed. What kind of business would that look like? That's right. That's right. The, you know, the ultimate goal is fulfillment for each individual. Right. And that, that shows up differently for everybody. And I think for me, having been in the corporate game for, you know, two decades, what I see is, is there's a lot of great planning. There's a lot of um, really good intention but it is in the actual, the actions that, and the outcomes um, that I see a lack sometimes in that actually, if, if we're going to do good things for our people, if we're going to do good things for our customers, I mean, we're living in the time of social media, right? Where everybody can tell us how they feel, but big brands are still in that position of going, no, no, we want to tell people what they should feel. And then we want them to buy from us still. So I feel like there's this, there's still a dichotomy between being okay with vulnerability in business and with fucking up, because I think that's what COVID's taught us too, right? Is that some businesses have messed up, but it's the ones who've come forward and gone, hey, we made a mistake. Um, we're going to start rectifying that. That are the ones that will potentially make it. And it'll be those profit only uh, businesses that won't. And you spoke about vulnerability. And I think that is the sexiest quality of a human is vulnerability. And it's also the sexiest quality of a business. Mm -hmm. Because if a business can be raw, it can be truthful, it can be open, it can be honest, people connect with that. People don't connect with the facade and with the bullshit and with the, the layers of complexity. They, they connect with the heart and soul of an organization. So if more organizations could be more vulnerable and share their truth rather than trying to cover it up or hide behind something or, you know, sit back and not step forward for the things that are important. Imagine the shape of our economy. Imagine the shape of our human economy. Imagine the shape of our, you know, of our future yeah. generations. Yeah. Well, I think of um, the over COVID, I think I saw a presentation yesterday and it said that on the list of countries who were able to react well and to take care of their people uh, should there have been a pandemic. So this was beforehand. New Zealand sat at third, number 35 in the world, like not the top 10, 20 or 30, 35th. And now that we are coming out of that, we've actually moved to like number one, number two, wow. because in practice, what the communications were that went out to New Zealanders was we're going to unite against this. So like, you know, the spirit of our country, but then also the underlying message was be kind. Mm. Um, and I just, for me, that, that helped stop me and make me more present during a really scary time because it was like, okay, if the leader of our country, regardless of politics says, we're going to knuckle down right now. And while we do that, we're going to be kind to each other. Then shit, we're in a, we're in a really good spot. What? You don't want to um, recreate this into a political discussion? Well, you know, I think you and I would probably agree on some things. <laughs> oh, the how, how do we dodge that? People can't see me right now hiding. 
around the corner. No, no. Um, let's move away from politics and then come back to it. I want to know more about um, entrepreneurial women with purpose, like like how that came to be, what you're doing. Tell me more about your your business and your brand because I'm fascinated by somebody who can take a bold move, move from overseas to a new country, bring her kids, make yourself a new home in a small town, and also start a business that at its core is kindness. Um, tell me more about it. Well, I guess it started a long time in my mindset uh, before we moved to New Zealand, but it, it culminated organically uh, when we did move here. So probably five or six years ago, we were in North Lebanon. I took my children, um, which was a bloody bold move as well. Now looking back, I'm like, what was I doing? Just me on my own with my two children. We went to North Lebanon uh, for a wedding. And it wasn't scary because that's where my ex-husband is from um but you know just me traveling over there on my own i look back going hmm uh anyway <laughs> we're driving from their family home up to uh it's called the hutler which is the farms and every time we would drive up to the farms to see some of the other family we would drive past these refugee camps and i was like oh my goodness i can't believe how many refugee families are in the in the village and you know only a kilometer away from where the family home is. And I've been traveling there since I was probably 18 or 19. So it, um, it was a bit of a shock, to be honest with you, to see, um, to see so many families living, living like that. And I remember saying to my brother-in-law at the time, can we come back? There's so many apples in our garden. Would we be able to take them up some boxes of apples? And he's like, no, no, they work with the apples every day. They're picking apples. They don't need apples. And I was like, oh, okay. So can we take them some bread and some toilet paper and some basics like no no they don't need anything I was like well, we've got excess kids clothes with all these things no no anyway after five days of me persisting for me to go up there he's like okay we can go now and I was like okay so we packed the kids up in the car went up to the refugee camp and we said you know we come here in peace uh this is a family from Australia this is obviously in Arabic I'm not this is the translation um we come here in peace and we just wanted to see if you need anything. And we dropped them clothes and food and apples and all sorts of things. And then they sent us away with a list of all the things that they needed. Um, you know, and they were living in pretty um, horrendous conditions with mm. kids everywhere and lots of families. And yeah, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty intense to see. But at the time I saw the United Nations there also uh, delivering aid and delivering money and things like that. And I was like, oh, God, wouldn't it be wonderful to work for the United Nations? So I had planted that UN seed. And my really my core of that was that I really wanted to work to support marginalized people. I was really focused at that time on supporting the refugee crisis and ways that I could actually do something about that. I'd also thought at that time that at some point in our lives we may move to Lebanon. So mm. I was also thinking about what I could be doing in working in Beirut and that I could potentially be working for the United Nations because there's a big headquarters uh, there. Um, so that kind of whole journey and that those seeds being planted and me thinking about what kind of role. And I set myself when I first moved to New Zealand that I wanted to give myself the time and space to explore the countries where the UN headquarters were, the different roles and mm -hmm. speaking and connecting to lots of people who already worked for the UN to find out the truth of the organization because I didn't want to go and apply for a job, 
move to Geneva or move to Beirut and then find out that I didn't actually really want to work for an organization like that. Um, and one of the women that I spoke to when I first moved to New Zealand, when I was just kind of navigating the business scene here, was a woman called Fiona Fenwick. Uh, and she said, Catherine, tell me your dreams and what you're doing in New Zealand and why you're here. And I said, well, you know, one day I'd love to be able to work for the UN. Uh, and this year I'm spending that time to explore what that might look like. Uh, and it just so happened that Fiona Fenwick's daughter was the vice president of United Nations Women here in New Zealand. So we started having these wonderful conversations and understanding the work that they were doing in the Pacific and things were just starting to take shape. And at the same time as having all of those conversations about the work that the UN did and what was behind that and the layers of the United Nations Sustainable, Devel oh, Sustainable Development Goals, um, I was talking to lots of different people and my mission was really understand the New Zealand market, understand what's going on, connect to people, have conversations, build relationships, because we only knew a few families when we moved here. Um, mm -hmm. And it was through those conversations that I realized the majority of those people um, all were in business for the greater good of the world. They were predominantly social mm -hmm. enterprises trying to create more positive impact. Uh, but I didn't feel like they were really amplifying and telling their story um, as well as they could to reach their audiences to really then amplify and extend on their impact. Um, so it was about how could we support them to amplify their story. And at the same time, I was talking to much bigger corporate organizations and they were trying to connect to women in a more meaningful way. So I thought, how could I bring these two things together? How could I bring the component of that relationship building with UN Women New Zealand uh, and supporting women in the Pacific. So all of those things came together, but it wasn't like, again, sitting at the computer, crafting out an idea. I was in Downward Dog on a Sunday night with my yoga teacher and mm. Entrepreneurial Women with Purpose came to me and I was like, oh, it all actually just fits uh, together really well. And I started to flesh it out and, you know, I, I, spoke to the guys from Hello World that night after I met you and we all went out for dinner and then we spoke again a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks later um, and Simon and Vicky from Hello World Travel said, you know, Kath, we really believe in what you're doing. We believe in your why and we really want to come on this entrepreneurial women with purpose journey with you. And so it was that, that it wasn't just my idea, that it wasn't, That's so cool. wasn't just me thinking how to go and activate this. It was, there was that support from the uh, community and there was that support from businesses that actually wanted to get on board and you know it only takes one and then got lots of other organizations on board that also wanted to come uh, on that journey so now our focus is really about education it's about empowerment and it's about investment and the, mm -hmm. all of those things underpinned by our top five UN sustainable development goals which are quality education gender equality good health and well-being, decent work and economic growth and partnerships to create that impact because I truly believe if we could bring five organisations together or two organisations together, you are much better going at it to approach it with other organisations involved rather than trying to independently change the world. So I think if we gather... Yeah, that idea of collectivism. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's really what uh, where Entrepreneurial Women with Purpose has come uh, about. And really, I think it's just been over time. You know, I took time off after the kids went back to school post 
have COVID because I was here solo with them for eight weeks, which was lovely and hell all in the same breath. <laughs> and I just needed some time to myself and I took four hours off and I just sat by the fire and I wrote and I wrote my heart out of all the things that were important to me and you know just really dug deep into those things and education was the thing that continuously came up as something that was a mm. great love for me and something that I thought can actually have the biggest impact so we've now started to work on co-designing basic foundational and continuous education programs uh, that we can connect with whether it's women who are working in New Zealand under the regional seasonal workers scheme from Vanuatu for example or you know supporting people who haven't been, had further education in New Zealand or people who are wanting to continue their education so that's really what I'm focused on now as well as our impact strategy with the women in the Pacific that's so amazing um I know that one of the highlights of lockdown and coming out of that for me was, and let's, I'll just be completely honest with you. I had absolute zoom fatigue. I think I might have zoom fatigue for the rest of my life. Um, but you had a, a webinar and a meetup that was a 90 minute um, session. And I remember when that came through and I was like, Oh, 90 minutes. <laughs> and it was the, it was literally the fastest 90 minutes of my life. Um, because you could just tell that you gathered uh, a group of, of women and then Harv uh, and, and a few other men who really were open to the values um, of your organization, but that, you know, having them work through their, their organizations and their lives. And it was just the coolest, coolest example of I guess anti-Zoom fatigue because somehow you managed to create these connections. And we were, most of us, strangers um, within that that space and time. So I feel like if you were able to do that in 90 minutes there, then um, world look out, cast <laughs> on our way. And there was an incredible <laughs> sense of energy in that space. And I think everyone had Zoom fatigue and digital fatigue overall. Um, but there was this incredible sense of energy and connectivity and an openness and a vulnerability as well that everyone was just present and wanting to connect at a more human level beyond just kind of being spoken to through a computer. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was. It was setting the scene. Um, you, you and Harv telling some stories that were very vulnerable and included tears and then allowing us the, the safe space to have that conversation. So I feel like that's a lot of what Entrepreneurial Women with Purpose uh, provides as well, is, is a very safe space to not only um, become educated or to work together and network, but also to just ask the questions that need to be asked and to, to network with the right people to help you find what it is that, that maybe your heart and soul needs to move forward, whether it's in business and life, whatever it is. So I know I'm thankful that you're here on the scene. Um, I've got a question for you. It's a pretty big one, Kath, so oh, buckle up. Break it down. Um, yeah, I want to know for you specifically, you've done you've done a lot of things um, in your life. You've been a lot of placement places. What accomplishment um, are you most proud of so far? Oh, what accomplishment am I most proud of? I would probably say where I'm at now, like I could go with something cheesy and tell you that my greatest accomplishment is my children. The greatest accomplishment that I can keep my children 
alive and well and kind. That's my greatest compliment. Um, but in relation to business, I truly believe it's where I've gotten entrepreneurial women with purpose because it culminates everything that I'm super passionate about. And it brings all of those things that I'm passionate about, that I'm interested in, that also that I have the skills and what I can add the most value to. So I truly believe it's mentally where I am at the moment and just content uh, and content with everything that's on the table at the moment and the opportunities uh, for the future. So yeah, you know, and I've been That's in awesome. our family business and we, you know, did a massive turnaround of that business, but that business never had the heart and soul that was mine or my my own values. This organization is completely and utterly my values and what's important to me. So although, you know, building our brand from 40 stores to 160 stores back in the day, but it was fast fashion. I have no love for fast fashion mm. whatsoever. Uh, and anyone who's trying to start a fast fashion business these days, I'm like, get out, get out now. Don't even think about it. Um, you know, and that was a huge accomplishment for our family to, you know, to build that business, but it never felt like it was truly utterly mine. So I feel like now is that, that accomplishment is where I'm living, how I'm living, who I am and all of those kind of attributes. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's a beautiful answer. Um, it reminded me of a conversation I had yesterday and we were talking about, um, me quitting my job, uh, three days before the pandemic and going out, you know, on my own with my own business. And we were talking about this idea of, of fear and fearlessness and unpacking how to, how to figure out who you are. Uh, kind of what you want because I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up <laughs> and then how how you face fears and uh, for me it's been having the right people around me and the right community and knowing that you know sometimes when I know I'm going to get um, some negative feedback or something um, because I'm going to trigger some let's just say pale stale males um, on social media um, it's having friends that go you know fuck them they don't love you. We do. This is how you keep your head straight and, and keep moving forward with action. How do you, Kath, face um, fear and, and turn that maybe not into fearlessness, but, but into action? Uh, well, I guess I mentioned one of those fears before, which was about, you know, before I moved from Australia to New Zealand, it was that fear of living a mediocre life. And, you know, I didn't have a bad life in Sydney, but I didn't feel and I didn't feel like I was completely living and breathing to my fullest potential. Um, so I think it's really identifying where those fears come from, first and foremost, mm -hmm. and then identifying all the different attributes of what does a mediocre life look like, what does a wonderful and full life look like, and then kind of bridging the space between the two. Um, and then I think if once we've bridged that, then we can really just set some goals and identify, well, what does, if this is a mediocre life over here and this is a full, happy and content life over here, and this is where you want to get to, what are the goals that you need to achieve to actually start stepping forward to that? So I guess in all of that is breaking down the fear, identifying where it came from, identifying if it's actually your fear or if it's your parents' fear, 
or your husband's fear or your partner's fear or your lover's fear or whoever in your life, those things often manifest into our fears, but they're not actually ours. So you can give them back to the person who gave them to you and then step forward. Because you've actually, I love this. If you recognize whose fears they are, then you can actually step forward and like peel back those layers and, and shed that skin because that is not yours. And then you can go, well, it's not mine, so I'm just going to leave it and I can step forward and not be fearful of that thing anymore. Um, and that, you know, that was a year of me working with that kinesiologist to identify what was mine and what were my parents and what were my ex-husbands and what were my families and what was what were my teachers' values and the things that, you know, so it's just about recognition of that's right where that fear came from. Is it yours? Is it not yours? If it's not yours, give it back. If it is yours, unpack it, set some goals and step on forward. That's right. And I, I think there's also that, that when you do that step on forward, you start to realize that, that fear isn't, it's, it's a feeling, but it's, it's not a thing. It, it doesn't actually exist. It exists in your mind. And to what you just said, when you start to unlearn a lot of what the adults and society and other people taught you was the way to think and the way to move forward and, and things that should be, you should be afraid of, then you start to almost liberate yourself. I know I've felt that in the last few years. And I think that word that you said around unlearning is really key because I think there are a lot of things that have built up in everyone's life that we need to unlearn behaviors or you know, ways of doing things. Sometimes they're just done because that's the way that they've always been done or somebody else has been taught. Uh, so when you actually unpack and unlearn some of those things, there's a freedom to be able to step forward and re rewrite what that looks like for you. That's right. I always like to um, tell my 14-year-old daughter that it's it's good to understand the rules but it's also better to understand that you don't always have to play by the rules that some that were written by somebody else's hand. If, if you don't want to have to go to school in a skirt every day and you want to wear a pair of pants, but only the boys are allowed to, let's go talk to the school about that. Let's go understand why the rules are the way they are, and then let's change them if they're not fair. So I'm with you 100% on that one. I was... Um, reading the other night um, in preparation and doing a, a venture submission for SheEO at the moment. Um, and I was ooh. unpacking all the different layers of our focus on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And one of them was around gender equality. One of them is around gender equality. Um, but I was actually looking at what the goals were and what the benchmarks and what the targets are of the UN towards 2030. And it was like, you know, that, um, discrimination in every aspect of our lives and so not I wouldn't normally do this but I thought why not because you know there's little bits of discrimination there's little bits of of sexism that we could actually stamp out to actually show us and show our children that there, there are other ways to do it and I noticed when we were at the sports carnival the other day the boys were allowed to run first and all the boys ran mm -hmm. together and all the girls ran together about five minutes later. So it's just about, you know, and I said to the principal, why is it done that way? And she said, I'm not sure. And so if no one yeah. ever asked, how are we ever able to see that there could be another another way of doing it? And if, it, if we just 
take small steps. You know, if you think about gender equality and the UN Sustainable Development Goals, they're, they're massive global goals. But how can we take very tiny, minuscule steps in our own life to ask those questions? And maybe there's no good reason, rhyme or reason, why your daughter can't wear a pair of pants at school or why those kids can't all run together. Just no one's ever asked. That's right. That's right. And that went back to, again, the conversation that I had yesterday about fear and fearlessness, because I'd recounted a story about last year. Um, I was in a very leading, a very big project and we had an executive sponsor and I'd come to the executive sponsor and said, I believe that uh, this recommendation that I put forward is the way to go forth instead of um, another one that had been put forward. And I gave my reasoning and he looked me in the eyes and he said, I'd like you to go back and gather more information and then tell me why you think this. I want data to support it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I've literally done this 15,000 times and I've told you why you just didn't listen. And a colleague of mine, a male colleague standing next to me kind of looked at me, gave me a wink and I shit you not, Kath. He said the exact same words I said and the executive looked at him and went, that's the idea. That's what we're going with. And it could have stopped there. But uh, bless the man who winked at me, because then the next words out of his mouth were, mate, I just said the exact same things that Cass said, but you cut her down and her idea down. So I want to understand why that is. And if we want to talk about that afterwards, that's fine. And he and I talked about that later. And I said, well, that took a lot of guts. And he said, yeah, but it took less guts than probably showing up every day to work in this situation as a woman. And I thought, wow, that tiny little moment meant that that exec would think before he spoke, I hope, every time. Yeah, and we need those male champions of change to support and not back down for for some of those challenging conversations or stepping forward for us as well. That's right, that's right. I've got um, a sweatshirt on right now. I know you can't see me, but it's a black sweatshirt and it has giant white lettering across it that says wild feminist (laughs) on it. And you would be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, by how often people will actually move across the street when I'm walking so that they're not on the same side of the street with me. Or I'll have conversations with some of my most passionately feminist friends who say, I believe in equality, but I'm not a feminist. So I feel like there's so much work to be done around the gender equality piece just by having conversations every day that are maybe a little bit uncomfortable. I spoke to Kate Billing last week from Blacksmith uh, and she doesn't describe herself as a feminist. Uh, she describes herself as a humanist. And I think that hmm. is our way forward because if, the, if we're constantly uh, trying to get this divide to come together or if we can just represent and come together a bit more, with our leadership and not have to have these conversations of men and women, why can't we just be human? And so I love that uh, humanist approach to feminism. I love that too. I love that too. And I feel like if we can get to that point and, and unpack patriarchy and misogyny and all of those things, then you know that will be a, a hallelujah moment um, because equality, equal means all, right? And yep. We even have to look beyond the binary of, and we can go down a full other <laughs> podcast with talking about binaries in life. But, you know, there's you know, everybody moves through the world differently. And I love that too. Kate Billing is such a cool cat. Um, 
I have another question for you because I can see we're at almost 45 minutes. Oh my gosh. So I have one more big question for you. And then I'm hoping we can hit like a real quick six questions, um, just fast answer round. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good. Okay, here's another one. Um, Kath, <laughs> what is the most important thing in your life right now? My most important thing is, there's actually a few layers to it. We are obviously here in New Zealand um, and I was supposed to take the kids back to Australia a number of times. Um, and so the most important thing that's in my mind at the moment is ways to try and uh, reunite my children, our children, with my ex-husband in Australia. Uh, mm -hmm. And also try and spend time with my dad, who's quite unwell in Australia. And so those things are challenging me and they are at the forefront of my mind at the moment of, you know, trying mm -hmm. to find a place of peace and acceptance that we can't get back yes. to Australia at the moment in a free way, uh, mainly out of fear mm -hmm. and knowing uh, that I won't be able to get back into the country because I'm not a resident and I'm not willing to give that up at this stage. But I'm also trying to be aware of everyone's needs and taking everyone's needs into uh, consideration, you know, with my children and my family. Um, so that's probably the thing that's the most important to me and that's kind of topical for me at the moment. Everything else in life is is humming along really in a beautiful state of flow. Um, yeah. I feel for you on that one. Um, my mom went in for, I think the biggest surgery of, of her lifetime and my lifetime this morning. So I wow. had that, that interesting view of trying to stay in contact with my dad who has probably sent three texts in his entire life. <laughs> And then I completely forgot about my daughter's basketball. I completely like felt like a failure. I failed at mothering this morning because my mind was elsewhere. But then, and I can't go home right now and it's just not realistic. But yeah, I feel for you on that one and I'm with you. And I think it's just about being present, you know, knowing that I can't change those things right now. There's no point li yes. living in this mental state of trying and doing, but there's always this kind of undercurrent, um, but just also trying to be really present with where we are. We've now got two mm. weeks of school holidays and that's what I really need to be present and focused on uh, and spending that quality time with the kids. So, yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. All right. Are you ready for the quick six, my friend? I'm ready. I've got both feet on the ground, ready to go. All right. All right, first thing that comes to your mind, what music do you have on repeat right now? Oh, it's always the Coffee and Chill playlist. It's a bit of a jazz. Yes. Style. Jazz a house. Yes, I <laughs> so good. Um, best lockdown lesson that we should continue on post-pandemic? My best lesson was that my children are the most important thing and I needed to... Uh, put the focus completely on them and then try and fit my business around their worlds, not the other way around. Love it. Love it. What's your favorite platform for connecting? Uh, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, uh, connecting and planting, planting seeds and checking out people's interesting backgrounds. So that's probably where you would find me the most. 
<laughs> what is um, one of your favorite books that you're either reading or hoping to read? Uh, I loved, and I will continue reading it, um, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, mm. um, The Art of Asking by Amanda someone, I can't even think who she is, there's a few, um, and one of my all-time favourites, New York Times bestseller, as she has on the front cover, Gabrielle Bernstein, uh, The Universe Has Got Your Back, and that has really been a wonderful mm. guidance for me and a wonderful reminder that I am on the right path and things do go into a state of flow when you are on the right path. They do not go in a state of flow when you are not. And the universe is constantly, yes, I love constantly that. trying to tell us and constantly trying to show up and show things, um, but we often ignore them. So it really teaches you how to tune into those things. Oh, that's so good. Um, it's Friday. So what what is your favorite tipple for a Friday night? Uh, gin and tonics, um, but it's sub-zero temperatures at the moment so I have been acquainted with a wonderful organization called Wine Friend uh, and Wine Friend just delivered um, a box of six wonderful different wines from all over the country and global uh, brands that I've never tried before so uh, that will be fireside with a glass of red wine I think for it. Oh, we do love Wine Friend in our house too. <laughs> um and last but not least, um, as I, I thank you for your time, is would you please shout out somebody who has shown up in your life um, as a kindness warrior? Uh, my kindness warrior, the first one that comes to mind at the moment would be Olivia Doonan. Uh, Olivia runs a local uh, business here called Tapari Wines. Uh, and I think her kindness warrior attribute is that she's got three kids but she's always open to have my additional two kids just to give me some time and space <laughs> uh, and I think that is a wonderful thing to do for other people and just to put it out there even if they want to give you their kids or not and I just I love that she's always open to uh, supporting it and she does that just with a wonderful smile and wonderful human connection uh, without even knowing it it truly does. Yeah, it does take a village, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Kath, thank you so very, very much for your time. Um, every time we get any, any amount of uh, minutes or hours together, I'm a very grateful and thankful person. So thanks for waking up early this morning to record this podcast. Um, I appreciate you and I'm just so proud to have you as um, a friend and as a fellow kindness warrior. Thank you, Kathy. Truly grateful to share this conversation with you. I'm so glad we didn't get onto the political agenda um, with neither of us being <laughs> the natives of this country. Uh, so I was truly appreciative that we didn't go down the uh, political route in this conversation. I mean, probably one of the most awkward segues I've ever had, but we're going to keep it. 